Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Now today we're getting for the first time a glimpse into the why of suffering. Why does God allow suffering? I've heard people say, if God's a loving God, why is there so much suffering? Or people sometimes will use that as an excuse to say, well, there cannot be a loving God because there's too much suffering in the world. Why does God use, or why does God allow suffering? Now we're studying First Peter, and we are studying First Peter under the name of the series, Encouraging Words for This discouraging times. Peter was writing to a group of Christians that were undergoing persecution and hardships and adversity and suffering. And he was wanting to encourage them in their discouragement. And so what we see is him dealing, first of all, with some of the emotions that they're going through. When you're going through adversity and difficulties you go through a gamut of emotions. And the first emotion he addresses is their confusion and bewilderment. They know that they're Christians, but they can't understand why, if they are Christians, are they going through this suffering. They're confused. And Peter's answer to them is, you need to realize you're an alien in this world. You're not at home here. Your true citizenship is in heaven. Therefore... You need to expect to experience hardship and and difficulties and expect people to hate you. And then secondly, he deals with the feeling of being God-forsaken. When we're going through adversity and difficulty, it's easy for us to think God's just forgotten about us. God has forsaken us. And Peter answers that feeling with, far from being forsaken by God, you are chosen by God. When you realize what God's done to save you, you will never doubt and never question that He is with you. You'll never think He has forsaken you when you realize that, first of all, He's chosen you from before the foundation of the world. And not only that, but He has set you apart by the Holy Spirit, and you've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Now, having seen God doing all of that for you to save you, why would He ever leave you and Forsake you. If you are not here for those, you can go online at westsideonline.org and you can listen to those messages. But today, we're getting our first glimpse into the why of suffering. Why of adversity. Now the key is our perspective. We need to have God's perspective on our adversity, on our suffering. When we have the proper perspective on it, when we see it from God's viewpoint, we can begin to understand the why. And today we're going to look at it from four perspectives. Now, let's read together verses 6 through 9 of 1 Peter chapter 1. And in respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, 
being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. You may be seated. Now, the first perspective is from the perspective of eternity, your adversity only lasts for a little while. Peter says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while. Peter is drawing a contrast between what they have for eternity and in eternity with the adversity of the moment. In this, he says, you greatly rejoice. Now, what's he talking about when he says, in this? What he is talking about is certainly the immediate context, which is in verse 5, and that is their salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, because God has such a great salvation waiting for you, your salvation will be complete. That is, your resurrected body will be raised from the grave. It will be perfected after the very glory of Jesus. Your spirit will be joined to that body. And your salvation, your glorification will take place. You will share in the glory of Jesus. Now, because of this, greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you may have to suffer. Adversities. So we know for certain he's talking about that when he says, now for this. But I think he's also speaking about what he's talked about in verses 3 and 4. When he says, in this you greatly rejoice. I think the this refers also to the living hope that they have in Jesus. The living hope, that vibrant Hope, that confident expectation of great things that God has in store for them in the future. That spiritual life for eternity. But not only that, I think that this refers to the inheritance that he says that God has for them. That's reserved in heaven for them. That inheritance that will not fade away. That inheritance that God has there for them. That He is guarding for them. So I think what He's saying is, compared to the eternal blessings, the duration of your suffering is only for a little while. Compared to the eternal blessings that God has in store for you, this suffering that you're going through right now is only temporary. In fact, it's only like a vapor. You remember that James talks about our life being as a vapor when he said, yet, do you not know that what your life will be like tomorrow? You're just a vapor that appears for a time and then vanishes away. He's talking about that vapor, that mist 
the fog, or I like to think about a teapot that's uh, you got on the stove and the, it's starting to whistle and you see the little vapor come up and it's just there and gone. What James is saying is compared to eternity, your life here on earth is like that little mist that's there and gone compared to your whole life. You know, you live 75, 80 years. Now, in comparison to that 75 and 80 years, how long is that little mist, that little vapor that's there and gone? He's saying that's what your life is like compared to eternity. Now, if our whole life is like a little mist, what about the suffering we endure? It's even smaller than that. It's even uh, more uh, tiny. It's even more miscule than that. And so he's saying, look, even though this life you do have adversity, it does not last forever. Now, at the time, it may seem like it. At the time you're going through it, you may think, man, this is never going to be over. But it will pass. We have a saying around my house. This too shall pass. No matter what you're going through, realize it will pass. It's not going to last forever. Therefore, when you see adversity, see it from the perspective of eternity. That compared to your eternal blessings, it is only for a little while. Second thing Peter says is, from the perspective of its nature, our suffering, our adversity is diverse. He says again in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now the word various in the Greek means many colored. It's the idea of adversity comes in many different shapes and sizes. Now, isn't this a blessing in itself? I mean, think about it. If you had to go through the same adversity, the same difficulty all of your life, wouldn't it be, wouldn't that be a lot worse than it is that God gives you a variety of different adversities? He gives you uh, different shapes and sizes of hardships. You don't have to go through the same one over and over and over and over again. And so it's better that it is varied. Now notice the word trials, various trials. Now the diversity of our hardships can be seen in this word. This word trials is translated sometimes in the New Testament as test. Other times it's translated temptation. Same word can be translated either way. But they're different. Test and temptations are different. And so what Peter's saying is when you go through a hardship and adversity, a difficulty, or suffering, it may be a test or it may be a temptation. Now, it might be a test from God for the purpose of strengthening your faith. You remember Abraham? God tested Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11 mentions this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now, when was he tested? When God said to him, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, take him and offer him as a burnt sacrifice to me. Go to Mount Moriah and place him there on the altar, cut his throat, 
set him on fire, and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. This was a test that God placed on Abraham for the purpose of strengthening his faith, as we see again in verse 17. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was a test to see the quality of his faith. It was a test to strengthen his faith. When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness those 40 years, God put them through various tests to show them what was in their hearts. As we see over in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. He was testing them to see what was in their hearts. He was testing them for the purpose of strengthening their faith. So when you're going through an adversity, when you're going through a difficulty, when you're suffering, it might be a test that God's bringing to strengthen your faith. But it also might be a temptation that Satan is bringing for the purpose of causing you to stumble and to bring you into sin. God never tempts us, the Scripture says. Satan is the tempter. Now, sometimes it's difficult to distinguish whether this is a test or is this a temptation. Take Job, for example. Now, was Job tested or was he tempted? Now, if he was tempted, it was because Satan was bringing these hardships on him. But yet, was it not God who brought up Job's name to Satan in the first place? He says, have you considered my servant Job? So, was Job being tested or was Job being tempted? Well, look at what James says about it. Over in James chapter 5 verse 11. He says, we count those blessed who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. So the Scripture says it was the Lord who was dealing with Job, but He was doing so in compassion and in mercy, even though Job didn't see it at the time. But at the end, when it was all finished, Job said, You know, I used to say I saw you, God, but now I know I really see you. He saw the benefits. He realized it was God who was using it to strengthen his faith. But I got good news for you. You don't have to really know if it's a temptation or a test. You respond the same way with either one. You don't have to know. Is this a test that God's putting on me to strengthen my faith? Or is this a temptation from Satan that he wants me to stumble and fall into sin? No, I don't think it matters if you'll deal with both the same way. And I want to give you four things to do when you're experiencing adversity, hardships, trials, and sufferings. First, come against it in the blood of Jesus. That takes care of Satan if he's involved with it right there. Lord, I just cover this situation in the blood of Christ. I claim your protection over it. 
over this hardship, this adversity, this difficulty. Second, obey the Word of God. Live in obedience to God's Word. See, if a, if a passage of Scripture or a promise of God deals with your adversity, your situation, your hardship, and then obey God. You'll never go wrong obeying God's Word. And then thirdly, trust God for the strength to get through the difficulty, the hardship, the trial, the adversity. Don't look to yourself for the strength, but look to God. To give you the strength. And then fourthly, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Whether it's a temptation or a test, keep your eyes on Jesus. And you'll come through victorious. So you don't have to spend a whole lot of time saying, Now, am I being tested or am I being tempted? No, you just come against it in the blood of Christ. You just obey the Word of God. You just trust God for the strength. And you keep your eyes on Jesus. And you're going to come through it strengthened in your faith. You will come through it victoriously. That's what Job did. He didn't understand it. But he came through victoriously. So how should we see our adversity and our suffering first? From the perspective of eternity, it only lasts for a little while. Secondly, from the perspective of its nature, it comes in many shapes and sizes. Now, third perspective. From the perspective of purpose, adversity proves our faith. Verse 7. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here we have it. He says it is for the proof of your faith. Now this word proof is used in the New Testament times of an act of putting someone to the test with the view of determining if they were worthy of being approved. It was used of medical students in the classical Greek. This word was used of putting a medical student to the test to see if he was worthy to be awarded the degree doctor of medicine. In our day, Consumer Reports magazine is probably one of the best ideas about it. Many of you have seen the Consumer Report magazine, many of you may subscribe to it. But you know what they do? They take different products. And what did they do? They put them to the test. Right? They check them out. They run them through all kinds of drills to see if they meet the standard to show their quality, to show how good they are, that they might be approved. Now, I don't think the purpose of running those tests is to tear the machine up. I think the purpose of running the test is to show the quality of that machine. To show if it can be approved. Same thing of a heart stress test. Now, when you get on that treadmill, the purpose is not to give you a heart attack. The purpose of that test is not to destroy your heart. The purpose of that test is to show the strength of your heart, right? To show if your heart can take the test, can take the stress. To show the quality of your heart. Show how good a shape it's in. Right? Well, that's what this word means. 
It's putting someone to the test to, for the purpose of showing the quality, the genuineness of their faith. The trials, the adversity, the sufferings that we go through are to test our faith to show its true character, to show its true genuineness. You see, we show by our action that we have a genuine, God-given, Holy Spirit-produced faith. You remember Abraham? God put him to the test. And through his actions, he proved the quality, the character of his faith. Over in Genesis 22, of that same incident, God said, He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know, God is speaking, that you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. That test proved the quality, the genuineness of Abraham's faith. God says, don't kill him. I know now that you'll fear me more than anyone. I see now the quality and genuineness of your faith. As God brings and allows adversity and the hardship and the sufferings and the trials, He brings them so that our actions in those times will reveal the quality of our faith. Just like gold is tested to show the quality of it, it's put into the fire And as it is heated up, the impurities float up to the top, the slag, and it's poured off, and then it's heated again, and the impurities continue to come up and be poured off until there are no more impurities. It has been said that the ancient smelter would continue to pour off the impurities until he could look into the gold and see a reflection of himself. God continues to put us in the fiery furnace of affliction to refine our faith, to refine our character until He can look at us and see Jesus. See Himself. And so the purpose of the test is to prove the quality because we act, because we live correctly through that adversity. Well, how is it then? What actions are there that show the quality of our faith, right? I mean, preach, I'm going through a hard time. I'm going through some suffering. Now, how is it that I'm supposed to act to show my faith is a good faith? To show it's a genuine faith? That's a fair question. All right, let me share with you. First, perseverance. Just good old stickability. You don't give up and quit. You don't say, God, I just quit. What's the use? This hardship just keeps happening. This pressure just keeps building. No, you continue to believe God and trust God and walk with God even though things look like they're getting worse. Look over in Hebrews chapter 12, talking about Jesus. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus endured. He didn't give up and quit when He suffered. And we are to endure. We're to keep on. 
Keep on believing God. Keep on trusting God. Keep on loving God. Keep on walking with God. Keep on obeying God. That shows the quality of your faith. Secondly, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12 again. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. As that word endurance again. You know, the Christian life is not a hundred yard dash, folks. It is a marathon. It is a marathon obstacle course. You got to keep going when you want to quit. And you keep going because you keep your eye on the goal, which is Jesus. Let us run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. When you're going through that hardship, that difficulty, that adversity, look over it and look at Jesus. Look at what He endured for you, but for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, though He despised the shame. And then He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So persevere, keep your eyes on Jesus. Thirdly, submit to God. And don't allow bitterness to come into your heart. James says, but He gives greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you're going through pressure, when you're going through hardships, it's either going to push you away from God, or it's going to push you closer to God. Hudson Taylor used to say, adversity in itself is not the issue. Just make sure the adversity does not get between you and God. Make sure it's on the outside pressing you to God. Right? Pressure can be a good thing. Diamonds are made from pressure. Make sure the pressure is pressing you to God, toward Him, not away from Him. Submit to God. God, I don't understand. I don't know why, but I submit to Your hand at work in my life. I refuse to be bitter. I refuse to let myself Wallow in bitterness. Sure, I don't understand. But I trust and I submit. And then, fourthly, lift up the sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's called a sacrifice because nothing in you wants to thank God in the situation. It's a sacrifice of your mind because you can't see why you should thank God. It's a sacrifice of your emotions because you don't feel like thanking God. It's a sacrifice of your will because truth is you don't want to thank God. But as an act of obedience to 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In everything give thanks. No matter how bad it looks, thank God. This is important in our spiritual growth. This is important in the strengthening of our faith. That you sacrifice your emotions, you sacrifice your mind, you sacrifice your will, and you obey God and thank Him. God, I thank you for this. I don't feel it. I don't want to do it. But as an act of obedience, I thank you, God. 
because I know you cause all things to work together for good to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. And Peter says that that proof is more precious than pure gold. Now, we value gold in this life. We talk about how precious gold is. But Peter says, look, to God, it's much more precious that your faith be shown to have the quality and genuineness that He desires. This word precious is used by Peter to speak of things that God values very highly. He uses it to talk about the blood of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 19. But with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. When God wants to show how precious it is, the blood of Christ is to Him, He uses this same word, precious. He also uses it to speak of the Lord Jesus in chapter 2, verse 4. And coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. When God wants to show how much He values the blood of Christ, His Son, And His Son, He uses the word precious. This is the same word that He uses to talk about His feeling and how highly He values this proof of your faith. And this proof can only come through adversity and hardships and difficulties. And so when you're going through the difficulty and the hardship, realize that God desires to see the approval of your faith. That is more precious to Him than gold or silver, than anything in this earth. He ranks it up there with the blood of Christ and His own Son. Now when you understand that, you start saying, bring it on. Bring it on. Because it will prove my faith. And God says that's precious. So let's review. When we see our adversity, we must first see it from the perspective of eternity. That it's only temporary. Only for a little while. Secondly, we must see it from the perspective of its nature. That it is many shapes and sizes. Thirdly, we must see our adversity in the sense that it proves the quality of our faith. Now, the fourth perspective. From the perspective of our faith, we obtain the salvation of our souls. Verses 8 and 9. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. And full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Listen to that. Obtaining the salvation of your souls. 
Look back over in verse 6. A couple of words we just kind of rushed over. If necessary. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Why is it necessary that you and I have to experience trials and adversity and hardships and sufferings? He says, as if necessary. I believe it is necessary not only for the proving of our faith, but also for the persevering of our faith. You remember over in verse 4, we saw last week, where it says, verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You remember I told you not only did God reserve an inheritance for you, but He protected and reserved you for that inheritance. He preserved you as He preserved the inheritance. It's a double thing. Well, what's the means that God uses to preserve us? I believe it is adversity and difficulty and suffering because that is used to strengthen our faith. Listen. It's God who protects us. And look what it says. The protected by the power of God through faith. God protects our faith so we won't lose it. Well, what does He do to protect it? He puts you in difficulty and hardships and sufferings so you'll have to believe Him and your faith will be strengthened. That's the means that He uses. And that ties right in with what Peter says in verse 9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. You stay and keep on believing because God keeps you in the furnace to prove your faith so your faith will be strengthened and you will keep on believing. Now you think if you didn't have any problems, if everything was 100% hunky-dory, that you wouldn't have a bit of time believing and trusting God. The furthest thing from the truth. I'm convinced if you had no problems, no difficulties, no pressures, no adversities, if you had absolutely nothing but good times and blessing, your faith would dry up to nothing. I believe that's what the Scripture is teaching. And so God, who says He will keep you and preserve you for that inheritance, is going to use the hardships and difficulties and sufferings to do it. Look at James. He says the same thing. James chapter 1. Look. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. There's that word again, trials. Why should I be joyful? When I go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect. And that is mature, spiritually mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If you don't have the testing, if you don't have the trials... You won't have the maturity. You won't have the perfecting. 
your faith would dry up to nothing. Romans, Paul says the same thing in Romans, verse 5. Not only this, but we also exalt, rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. Hope. Going back to that living hope again. Confident expectation of something in the future. You want a trouble-free life? Then you're asking for your faith to shrivel up to nothing. You want your faith to grow? Say, God, bring it on. This picture, this man's name is Matthias Streiner. He's from Germany. He won the 2008 gold medal in the Olympics in Beijing in the highest weight for weightlifting. He lifted two lifts over a thousand pounds. This clean and jerk he's doing right here was 568 Pounds. Now, do you think he just woke up one day and went out there and grabbed that bar and took it up? No. No, no, no. He didn't start off with 568 pounds. He probably started off with maybe 100 pounds, 150. But he worked, and he worked those muscles, and he worked those muscles. You know God gives us things in the physical life to help us understand spiritual realities. You remember me telling you that. I think he's given us muscles to help us understand faith. You have to work a muscle to make it grow. And you have to bring it to its limit. I mean, they lift and they lift until they cannot lift the bar again. Their muscle is totally extended. It is exhausted. It will not lift. The next time they lift, they do it some more. And they get so they can do a little more. And a little more. But they have to wear those muscles completely out, bring them to their limit, that they might be strengthened and get stronger. And eventually, he got so he could lift 568 pounds. But would it never would have happened if he hadn't have taken his muscles to their limit. If he hadn't have tested them over and over and over again, that they might get stronger. Now, what would happen to this man who is been called the strongest man in the world, if he decided tomorrow he was going to lay in his bed and not get out of his bed for one month, he was just going to lay there. Only exertion would be to move the remote control and move the fork to his mouth. What would he be like at the end of that month? One month. Now, how many years did it take him to get this strong? But what would one month of inactivity do to his muscles? You know, we all know. He'd be weak as, weak as milk toast in a month of doing nothing. Our faith is just like that. For God to build our faith, he's got to test it over and over and over and over. He's got to bring it to its limit when we are exhausted of our own strength and we have to look to Him. And then the next time, our strength grows a little stronger. The next time, a little stronger. But we never get to the point that we can just go to bed. 
We never get to the point that we don't have to keep on exercising and strengthening our faith. If this guy's going to continue to be strong, he's got to continue to work out. He's got to continue to bring his muscles to their limit. Our faith is the same way. Why does God allow suffering? Why does He allow you to go through hardships and difficulties and pressures? Because He loves you. Because He wants to show that your faith is a genuine faith that is more precious to Him than pure gold. He wants your faith to grow. He wants your faith to be strengthened because He has a salvation waiting for you in glory. A full salvation. And He's promised to keep you for that salvation. And part of His keeping is to keep your faith strong. And to keep your faith strong, He's got to keep you in the hard times. So when you're going through a hard time, don't doubt God loves you. Be convinced He does love you. That's why He's doing it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You that... We can see some rhyme and reason behind our suffering, behind our adversity. We all go through pressure and difficulties. And we all tend to say, Lord, why? Why? Next time, may we say, I understand why, God. It's for the perfecting of my faith. It's for making me like Jesus. It's for keeping me saved. For those eternal blessings you have in store for me. Thank you for the encouragement of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.